Hello, everybody. I'm Tommy Dees, and you are... Adam Sparks, Vanderbilt beat reporter for the Tennessean. And I'm sports director for the Tennessean. What a coincidence. Makes us qualified to talk on here, right? Well, it makes us have access to the podcast studio. So You know what we're going to do today? What are we going to do? We're breaking down the doors. So uh, what do we have to talk about? There's like, what's going on at Vandy? <laughs> yeah, we could talk about the win, which we will a little bit, and we'll talk Anchor about on. That's right. But I think the best topic right now is Derek Mason, what he said after the game. We spent the last couple of weeks talking about his job security. He apparently listens to the podcast, or, <laughs> or he reads. Or, or he heard. Yeah, or he has Twitter or something out there. So to right. set this up, Derek Mason pretty animated on SEC Network coming off the field after beating Missouri. That's us to set this up. They beat a ranked football team in Missouri. That's right. At home. And I think... A week after they lost to UNLV, which started a lot of the talk that he seems to be responding to here. And it may have saved his job. Now, who knows? We probably will never know if he was going to get fired if this kept going south. And, and you know, he may still be have a warm seat anyway. They have five games left. But if his job is saved, I think that win did it. If he was on the hot seat, it cooled considerably off of this result. Yes, and I he felt that, and I rightfully know. so. And, and tip of the cap, of the Commodore's cap, to, to Derek Mason for, for not losing his team. And and for pulling them together for a, a big win, so he comes off the off the uh, the win there. And SEC Network, he had a very animated post game there, remarks, very strategic remarks. I, I think we can say. And then he came into the press conference. People saw the one on TV. He came into the press conference afterward, answered questions for about ten minutes, like he did, like he normally does. It was told, hey, one more question. He answered that question. And then he said, I want to. I want to repeat what I just said outside to all you guys in here. And, and of this, course, y'all hadn't heard. What we had not heard, right. right. But he said what he said, a, a version of that of what he said on TV. And here's Derek Mason from the press conference after the Missouri win. Everybody thinks they want this job. Everybody thinks they want this job. But I can tell you for sure that I'm one of maybe, maybe a few men in this country that's built for this job. The way it sits today. Man, I love this team. I love Vanderbilt. I'm a Commodore through and through. But the, the, you, you, can, you can question me about decision-making, man, man, but don't question me about being a Commodore. Anchor down. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's, I hear you, Derek. That's right. Coach, uh, excuse I, me, Coach, <laughs> Coach Mason. He definitely had a message there, and I tend to think he had more than one message directed at different people. Again, it was strategic. That, that wasn't – sometimes Derek is off the cuff. That was not off the cuff, and he repeated it. So I see three parts in, that, in those remarks he, he made, and I want to break those down quickly. Let's okay? break down the doors and break down the remarks. That's right. That's right. Okay, so breaking down, breaking down the comment, for, first part of that was everybody thinks they want this job. Now, I've heard two theories on this. Is he saying, yeah, I know people are pushing out other candidates and everybody has a hot list of who's going to replace me, or does he mean – I don't want to hear from fans or media that think they can coach better than me. Everybody wants this job. Which uh, which one do you think he meant meant there? Yeah, and I, th- I think he probably meant a little bit. I think he was staking his ground. It would be my first reaction that you know, if you're some coach out there that think that thinks this is can be your job, it's my job. Yeah, um, you know, ever you think you want it. I think he's also saying you with the, reading between the lines, maybe maybe I'm projecting. He's saying there's a lot more to winning at Vandy and, and, and running a football team at Vandy 
than you realize from the outside. And I'm on the inside, and you know, you might think this, you might think you want this job, but you wouldn't know what you were getting into. I thought he, I looked at it more as him talking to coaches out there. You know, it could be like that line from Vacation, where about the family truckster, where you know. You, th- you think you hate it now, but wait till you drive it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Eugene Levy line, by the way. Uh, Eugene um, Levy's got a lot of good lines. He does, yeah. he does. But th- that was one of his best and well-delivered now, you know, because you can read that both ways, you know. Second part of that Derek Mason quote. So what, one, what, what do you think he was saying? Well, I I think he was staking his claim to the job. I think he was. I think he was saying, you have no idea how hard this is. Right. Um, and I think he was and we'll get to this in a minute, I think there's a little gloating there in how many people do you think could lose a game like that last week and win a game like this? And that brings me a little bit to the second part of the quote, which is, I'm one of the few men built for this job. I I think for that, he was making his case directly to his athletic director, to Malcolm Turner. I think that was saying... You want to do a search? You want to go out and look for another coach? Let me just tell you, there's very few that you're going to find that really want this job and want all that goes with this job. And I'm one of the few that 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 are in that group. And who, from his point of view, who are temperate, who are mentally and and emotionally suited for this job? You know, yeah. That 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 there's a lot that goes into this. I mean, I can't imagine. You you know, we we can go on the. We can go on a crying jag about, you know, boy, how, how tough it is to be a Vandy and, and all this. But the fact is, I mean, how many times do you think he goes out and looks at a, a player he thinks he can get who can help them win football games and the transcript comes in and it doesn't go through an athletic whitewashing like it does at a lot of other places where, okay, they meet what we'll decide is a minimum standard that we'll let them in for football because you need them, and, you know, and they're not, you know, they don't have a two ACT, but maybe they don't have what the university generally requires on the SAT or something. And he gets told, "Sorry, go go find another one." And there ain't just but so many of those. Yeah, and I and I think that was a statement to the fan base, to especially to his AD about that. That, and and I will agree that I don't know if Derek Mason is the best guy uh, or not for this job in terms of his results and coaching and all that. I will agree that the intangibles that you have to have for the Vanderbilt job, he has all those, mm-hmm. which is which is really why he's been able to sell himself as a as a guy that's there for his sixth year. Because and, and, go ahead, yeah. And and when I wrote a column, and I'll I'll own it, I wrote a column coming out of the UNLV game that said basically, Vandy's administration and athletic administration needs to start making decision on whether this is their guy or not. And I, that's I don't I'm not saying he was responding to what I wrote particularly, but perhaps that sentiment which I don't think I was alone in expressing or or feeling. And and I think it was time, and I think it still is time. They have to make that decision. You don't make it off one game. You don't make it off the UNLV loss, and you don't make it off the Missouri win. It's you make it off of whether this guy, this particular coach, can take you where you want to get wherever that is and what you think the realistic ceiling and floor is for a coach and, and whether you think you want to make a change. And and I think he is saying, you better be careful here. You know, you, you could end up, if, if you don't like me and you go get somebody else, you know, I, I look, I worked here in the late 80s and early 90s and at the Nashville Banner, ding. <laughs> and, you know, 
a three win season was considered pretty good at Vandy. Yeah. And that wouldn't none of those would be SEC games most of the time. Yeah, there's been a lot of coaches that didn't understand the intangibles of Vanderbilt or that would push back really hard. Derek Mason has only pushed lightly, which is what an AD normally appreciates, I think. And I think Derek Mason was reminding him of that. And the fact that I'll say this, I was down on the field when Derek Mason was coming off. He's a lot of celebration, him and the players and all that. Malcolm Turner, the AD, was down there around the locker room and Derek made sure he hugged all his players. He, his players love him. Don't doubt that. He's yeah. a guy I'd like to play for. Yeah, and his players love him, and I think it. I think he knew that his AD saw that. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of when you lose a game like UNLV, you've seen it more times than I have, you can tell when a team quits on a coach and it continues to show. The next week they don't play harder no. for you. And I think he was making that – that emphasis there of, look, my guys are still playing for me, and it's because I have the intangibles of this job. And I think that's what he meant when he said, I'm built for this job. Right. And I think it's also that, that he he's not a guy who – I don't think he takes excuses from players. I don't think he takes excuses that he can make for himself. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's got to be in, in the back of his head he's aware. Yeah, if you let me get these six other guys that I tried to get in here – this would be a much better football team, or maybe fifteen guys that I'd like to have gotten in here that that didn't quite meet our standards, and I'd have a better football team. But I'm not gonna, I'm gonna deal with what I got and try to get this job done. I'm not going to sit here and have a pity party. And I do think that is his mentality. I don't think there's any part of him that is like, well, sure, of course I can't win. Look at what I've got. Well, and that takes me to the third part of his comment. You can question my decision-making, but don't question me about being a Commodore. Now, I think that was the competitor in Derek Mason. I think that's where the emotion came from. I think there was a little gloating there because he heard all the criticism. Now, I will say you can question every – after the UNLV loss, everybody has the right to question absolutely anything. His decision-making – Preparation. Yeah. And and I think what he was saying is don't question my – whether Loyalty. he should have, whether, whether he should have gone into that game, think saying publicly advertising that we're going to use this particular game to give our number two quarterback a shot. Uh, well, if you thought the number two was better, you should have just started him and died. I question that. It, it was almost like he was saying to his team, "Look, this is a game we're going to win anyway, so we're going to experiment a little." Yeah. And I do think that's a fair question. I think he would say that's a fair and question. And he even said earlier in this press conference that he said, uh, you, you know, I, I'll be curious to see what you guys write about my sideline today. That was one of his comments. And I, it was kind of pointing at, you're saying my team is lethargic, my team isn't playing with energy, my team quit on me. Well, the UNLV game, that sideline, that team, everything was absolutely lethargic. So Yeah, and I, and I personally didn't really write about the sideline, but – no, it was more a Vandy big picture whether whether this is a decision they're going to have to make. Neither of us did. I will say, I think coming out of the press conference and talking to other media members, I think Derek read a whole lot into online, social media, message boards, all that, which I would advise him not to do. Right. I may be wrong on well, that. Heck, if it motivated him like this, maybe he needs to read more <laughs> of it. Right. Maybe he needs to print them out and hand them out <laughs> exactly. to everybody on the team. Uh, so the, the, the two big decisions. So we're I, going into period four in practice, and a GA walks up and said, look what look what Commodore Gold 72 just, just posted <laughs> on the on the message board. Are you going to put up with this? <laughs> whatever works. Whatever works. Uh, I do think two big decisions. Uh, we can talk about energy and all that. Two big decisions spelled that win for Vandy. One of them was moving 
moving Jason Tarver, the defensive coordinator, from the sideline to the coach's booth. By the way, there was a swap there. Jerry Godowski, the offensive coordinator, went from the booth to the sideline. I think the defense was better off because Tarver had a better view. Sometimes it helps to have a coordinator up in the booth. He's away from people. That's the way Derek Mason painted it. I think that's accurate. But I also think you had two defensive minds too close together before. The way it has been is Derek Mason and Jason Tarver, two defensive gurus, stood next to each other as the defense is being called. I think that's too many cooks in the kitchen. Move one of the cooks upstairs, have one of the cooks down on the field, and I think that dynamic worked better, and that defense was was far better than it had been the rest of the season. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing was... They they took their number three quarterback Mo Hassan. Let me, let me go back to the first thing before yeah. we go to that because I, I do have a thought or two on that. I've seen it work both ways with with offensive coordinators upstairs and downstairs, and defensive coordinators upstairs and downstairs. Generally, the offensive guy is more likely to want to be upstairs, and the defensive guy wants to be their slap helmets and yep. getting people's grill and all that because that's a different type of coaching, I think, different mentality on both sides of the ball. But on the other hand, like Lane Kiffin, who's one of the best coordinators as far as play callers I've ever seen in my life, was a sideline guy. And he just relied on what he was being told from upstairs. So you got to get good information from upstairs if you're making the calls on the field. I do, however, kind of agree that it's it's better to not have a defensive coach who's who's really a defensive coach who's been the coordinator of his own team recently standing next to you whether he's second guessing or not are you thinking about it um, what you know are you trying to please him or are you trying to make the right call and sometimes you have to be willing to make the call that your coach is telling you not to make and have enough confidence that. You can fire me if you want, but I'm running this defense or I'm running this offense, and this is what we're running. And and I've done this before with Alabama references, but I will tell you a Nick Saban story that I got from Antonio Langham, who was an NFL DB who was on the field with the Cleveland Browns when a guy named Bill Belichick was the head coach, mm-hmm. and Nick Saban was the defensive coordinator. And it was at the end of a game, and Nick Saban made a defensive call. And the other team's like kind of in field goal range and try, needs to punch it in for a touchdown. So there's like last play, they're going to kind of throw it up, you know, but they're in range to throw it in the end zone. And Belichick says, no, 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 and makes another call. And Nick Saban makes the same call. And Belichick, you know, tries to overrule him. And Nick Saban makes the call and says, run the effing play. <laughs> <laughs> and they run it, and it turned out to be like a pick six. And Saban, after the ball was snapped, he sees the play on, on starting to develop, starts walking towards the tunnel. He said, because Antonio Langham's a corner on that side, and he's like, my defensive coordinator is walking off the field. He has that much confidence that this play is going to work, his call. And it, it was, he was basically telling Bill, you're the, you're the head coach, but you hired me to do this. Right. Well, I think sometimes that coordinator has to do that, and this may enable that coordinator in this case to be free from saying, I'm trying to please my head coach, instead saying, I'm trying to be true to what I think this defense can do and can win with. And I thought it was an interesting counter. By Long De- story, but... Yeah, I understand. I think, I think it was an interesting counter by Derek Mason because I had asked him, and then some others had asked him after that, Derek, have you thought about taking back the defensive play calling duties? I'd ask him that the week before and two weeks before. Yes, you have. Because the... 
Um, the history of him was his first year, Vandy was terrible. He fired his offensive and defensive coordinator. One was one of his mentors, and one was one of his best friends. Jason Tarver is one of his best friends. And defense got good when he took over. So that's why I asked a question a couple weeks ago. Sounds like he's a Commodore. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so you can look at it and say, well, is he going to do the same thing? And he was pretty emphatic. No, I hired these guys. What, what was the, the comment? You don't. You don't go in the fog of war and shoot the guy next to you, right, right? Right. So his counter was, well, but it's not working, so let's change it up. And that, that led to putting Tarver upstairs. That dynamic worked. You know, the other dynamic that worked was moving Mo Hassan from the number three quarterback to the number one quarterback. It's a big jump in one week, number three to number one, but one and two was not working well enough, Riley Neal and Deuce and it Wallace. Had a, it had been a two-person race, whatever you want to call it, all the way through. Yeah. Even going back to the spring. And Mo Hassan was the backup for Shermer last year when Deuce Wallace was suspended. Wallace comes back, jumps right into the fray in spring, as you mentioned. Riley Neal Riley comes Neal from Riley Neal transfers State. in. So Mo Hassan is, you know, if, remember Mo Hassan was the emergency quarterback. Essentially, he was being moved to wide receiver in spring. I do recall that. And they said, well, we need our number three. So they moved him back. Redshirt freshman Alan Walters, they didn't feel like was good enough to be a number three quarterback, which sidebar there, I could see Deuce Wallace transferring now. I'm not saying he will. I'm not saying I've been told he will, but. It seems like the a setup. Of, a lot of quarterbacks transferring these day and age, including the guy who was competing with Riley Neal. And he's a fourth year guy. Everybody Deuce. loves the guy transfers That's in right. and hates the guy transfers out. You notice that? That's right. The guy you don't have is the guy you want. Exactly. Right? Uh, I'm not saying Deuce Wallace is, but it's it happens a lot. I think he may graduate this year as a fourth year guy. But I don't know that for sure, but he has been there four years. Alan Walters, I could see transferring. This is his second year. Still hadn't gotten a shot, even as the number three. But Mo Hassan was the three, and he became the one, and this is why he became the starter. This is Derek Mason at the uh, post-game press conference. Just a different type of energy. Mo, Mo brought a different type of energy. Like, here's what happens. And, and, and no offense against, you know, man, Riley or Deuce. It just hadn't happened. Okay, man, you, 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 you insert a guy, man, and, and dudes were like, I can remember Keyshawn Vaughn on, on Tuesday, first day of practice. Mo, Mo pulled the ball. Okay, and it was the wrong read, but Mo pulled it. Okay, man, and it went like nine yards. Okay, and Jerry said, "Mo, listen, you got it, you got to hand it." And Key was like, "No, no, no, let him run." That it, 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 it was that type of energy. Generally, a running back ain't gonna tell you, "Hey, you know, like, like let him run, like give me the rock." That, that that that's what good running backs tell you. But I mean, again, you know, like as we competed, we went through one on ones and seven on seven. You know, man, you just saw him competing. I mean, dropping dimes and just and, and just getting after dudes, talking a little trash. That that's 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 what creates you know chemistry. It creates energy in practice. Again, that eighteen to twenty-two. Like, what do eighteen and twenty-two year olds do nowadays? Just talk trash. That's all they do. So you know, you you just you just want to have a little fun. These guys have, have had some fun. Um, today seemed fun. I don't know what you're gonna write about our sideline today, but hopefully, what you say, man, is that it was fun. It looked energetic. Guys were having a good time. It was a party over on West End. That's, that's, that's what it should look like. That's what it felt like. Man, man, man I, and I was right in the middle of it, having a good time with him. So so no offense to Riley Neal and Deuce Wallace, but Mo Hassan just brought a different type of energy. And you could see it. You could see it from the players, from the offense, from the play calling. Here's my question pushing this forward. 
First off, Vandy's on a bye week this week. They'll be at South Carolina next week. I made the comment, I made the tweet during the game that this is effective, but it looks more like an offensive package than an offense. And, that makes, and it's also a package that the other team hasn't prepared for because right. it's something they hadn't used. Right. And Derek so now Mason, everybody's seen it on film. And by the way, Derek Mason, he didn't dodge that question. He, how should I say this? He he did not give accurate information when asked during the week. <laughs> I don't think, I think coaches think it's not a lie if it's to win a football game. Right. And we could debate that back and forth. But he was asked directly three or four times on by the radio <laughs> and by me at the press conference last week. Derek, this is a two-man race between Riley Neal and Deuce Wallace. No one, no third person, no Mo Hassan, correct? Yes, that's correct. Only those two guys until the bye well, week. Those two guys are racing, and Mo was playing quarterback right. while they were having a race over on the side. That's right. So uh, Derek did what he, what he needed to do there. But uh, back to his comments, he said his energy and all that, and I get that. Well, let me let me. We'll talk about Mohassan here, if if you will, because I think this does play into that energy and and the players rallying around him. Because yeah, he's kind of got a, an interesting, you might even say, vagabond history mm-hmm. um, of of how he came here, which you can tell us about in a second. But boy, if there's a person you root for, he's the kind of guy who does. And I will tell you this: I have been in this business for more than thirty years. I have been and a sports editor, sports director, executive running a sports department for a dozen years. And I have never, ever, that I recall, before Mo Hassan, ever gotten an email saying, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm, the, I'm a player at in this sport. You know, I'm a quarterback at Vanderbilt in this case. And I want to tell you something that, that we're doing. And it's it wasn't like self-aggrandizing or I really want publicity it was like, hey, if your guys are interested, I just want to make let you know. You, sometimes you get that tip from like like the the media relations office, the PR people will come and say, hey, I want you know, we got this this tight end who's doing this thing, and you might want to be interested. Or we've got a group of guys who read to school children every Wednesday, and you know that that's kind of a thing we you know want to yeah, make. Yeah, don't you aware get it of. from the player. No, and and he was arranging basically getting food from grocery stores and things like that, if I recall. Yeah, Second Spoon is the name of the the thing that he started. And we our our staff, and I wasn't the only one who received this this email in our staff, but Jessica Bliss, who's from the Tennessean staff, not in sports, but writes about sports and other stories did this stories and basically he and a group of players led by him this guy who just kind of came in here out of nowhere um have been basically taking food to to homeless people and and to food distributing through their own food truck i think yes amazing so yeah i root for the guy and i will openly say I'd like he's first of all i can tell you this mohassan's gonna be a successful person in life he already is second of all I'm glad to see him have some success and get on the football field because who doesn't want a guy like that on your team? Yeah, an underdog story in a number of ways. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get into his past maybe this coming week before the next game. Was at Syracuse as a walk-on, tried to get a scholarship there, didn't work out, went to junior college, played some, but didn't, did, was not, did not quite find the re-recruiting he was looking for, came to Vandy as a preferred walk-on transfer. That's a Funny way of saying, come here and give it a shot, but we're not going to... That's like the hotel saying, man, why don't you come sleep here tonight? Oh, by the way, that will still be $179 plus tax <laughs> and fees. That's right, that's right. 
So, uh, th- I mean, so he was... Well, we want you to stay here. Sure, but it'll <laughs> but cost you. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to delve into his his background in the future. By the way, he's... From Miami, is that right, or uh, am I mistaken? He was... Uh, that sounds right. He was a junior college uh, down there. He started yeah. Second Spoon in the Miami area, okay. if I remember right. I know there's a, Miami conne- there's a connection in Miami in this. Go to Tennessean.com or my Twitter. I tweeted out that story by, by uh, Jessica about Second Spoon. Back to what he did on the field. By the way, he had a head injury. We're waiting to get an update on that. It's a bye week, so I, I tend to think it's a better chance of him playing sure. than, than not because he gets a, an off week there. The energy he brought was really good. He could run it. I thought one of his best plays was uh, when he had the 21-yard run down to the one-yard line. Blitz was coming to the right. I don't think that was a quarterback draw. I think that was a Recogni- pass. recognition of I see it coming yes. and I'm getting I'm yeah and I think that was feats, feats do your duty kind yeah, of thing. It was third and long if I remember, right. so that's not going to be a quarterback draw. Yeah, he said they're coming from the right. I'm going to run to the left and I'm yeah. going to go now. Very decisive. Right. Looks to run. So again, I say, is that a package or is that an offense? Because last year that was a package. He was Kyle Shermer's backup. And, you know, he'd come he wasn't in going to come in and run Kyle's offense at yeah, the level that Kyle could. He, he came in and, okay, I got a zone read, and then I got this I'll throw off of. I got a little rollout thing and screen pass, which they hit to Keyshawn Vaughn, and this one for a long touchdown. But given two weeks for South Carolina to prepare, is that a package or is that an offense they can win with? I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, and, and oftentimes when you see guys get thrown in relief situations, even if they're starting – it comes down to simplifying the game plan. We've seen it all in college. We've seen it in high school. We've seen it in pro where you end up walking in and you say, you know, we got four plays and, and we run each out of, of them out of three different formations. But we have we got two running plays and two pass plays, and we hope we can put some mustard on it with the formations. But that's all we feel comfortable with this guy and all he feels comfortable with. And the first when you're seeing it and you haven't seen it on film and you don't know what they're doing, it looks like a, you know two dozen plays. And then you look and you look and you look and you study film and you say, this is all they're doing. You know, if we just do this, we can key on this on every play they run and tell you if it's a run or a pass and and then we can defend it. Well, Missouri got caught flat-footed by it. And he did, and it's not just X's and O's. He did bring some energy, I think. There were some guys playing hard. And some guys playing hard probably regardless of who was quarterback because they were embarrassed. Yeah. They should have been embarrassed, quite frankly. Yeah. But losing to UNLV shouldn't happen. I think. I think if you went down that locker room with a lie detector to a man, they would tell you, "I'm embarrassed because that shouldn't have happened." If they weren't, they probably shouldn't be Commodores. But I think they were. So I think there was some of that. I think there was some of that. What you saw last week is not who we are, and we we are going to come out and try to show people that. And I think probably people would have been semi happy if you want to call it that with the. They gave a good effort against a ranked team and came up short, but they didn't. They won the game and, and really and didn't. There was no fluke about it. They outplayed Missouri. Yeah, and 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 I think you know this is a bye week. I think this is a week where Jerry Gadowski, the offensive coordinator, also the quarterbacks coach, and that offensive staff. This is where they earn their check because you know Mo Hassan is your quarterback as long as he's healthy. I think he will be. Go find a more expanded offense to to run with him. You've got a week to do it. I would think Jerry Gadowski spent Sunday, Monday, Tuesday saying, what else can we do with this quarterback? 
trash anything you had before. Quite frankly, he's won the job if he if they, if yeah. if he is medically cleared to play. It's got to be his job. And you know, th- there are some. I mean, there are some elements of of this personnel wise of this offense that they can use. I mean, you you have an all SEC running back back there. Oh yeah, and they got and they got him the ball. Yes, and I think now the next step is you've got an all SEC tight end, and you've got a mobile quarterback who I don't think is going to make a lot of progressions. But, but a he big can make target two reads. that's kind of close to you is yeah. a nice safety net. It's a who, it's, can, who can play. There's a lot of routes, and you've mentioned this on the podcast before about splitting the field in half with a mobile quarterback. There's a lot of routes you can use an athletic tight end in mm-hmm. if you can roll a quarterback, and he and he can roll read long, read short. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of stuff you can do if the play action. With and if a neither of them's there, you pull it down and run because yep. that's your third weapon. There you go. Uh, so, I mean, there are weapons to do that. I need to that. be the offensive You should. I feel, I, I'm not a Commodore, I'll have to admit it, but I, I, darn it, I've got good ideas. You could you could Lane Kiffin it. You've already mentioned him right. on here, right? All right, boys, go out there and run. Yeah, I don't have a name for this play. Let me show you. on the. I'll draw it up in the grass. <laughs> All right, so in Mo Hassan fashion, I think I'm going to call an audible now on the okay, podcast. Okay, let's do it. Let's put basketball to the side till next week. Okay. We've talked plenty of football. We've got it's a bye week, so we're not going to have a game this weekend. Next week, we'll talk about Jerry Stackhouse. We'll talk about Scottie Pippen Jr. There's a lot to talk about there, and we'll talk about Aaron Neesmith and some others about the Commodore basketball team. But we're going to put that on hold next week, and so let's go ahead and wrap up this podcast. Okay, let's do that. And I'm, we'll, we'll know. By the way, do they play? When do they play an exhibition? Uh, November first. Okay, and if they I, win that, that does not count because it's an exhibition, and they right. still have not won a game in 2019. The November year. November first against Clark Atlanta University. So from renewing from, the rivalry. You know where they're from? Atlanta. Atlanta. They're from Clark Atlanta. Yeah, they're apparently. from Atlanta. Okay. They're right down the street from Morehouse. Uh, well, that does it for this edition of Breaking Down the Doors. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com. And if you like what you hear, maybe you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcast. Maybe drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. For Adam Sparks, I'm Tommy Dees, and we'll be back next time. <laughs>